Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. So for the last six weeks, we've been discussing the theme of thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, because it seems to be the most prevalent response to any kind of public tragedy that happens in our world. When we aren't sure what to do, we lift thoughts and prayers. When the right course of action seems to be an impossible one for us to actually take, we lift thoughts and prayers. When we aren't sure about how we're supposed to make the next right step, we lift thoughts and prayers. We lift thoughts and prayers when we want to demonstrate faithfulness in a complicated circumstance. We lift our thoughts and our prayers. It's a good habit for us to be in. However, thoughts and prayers have become the subject of some scorn in a large part of our society. I know I've said this for the last several weeks over and over again. Thoughts and prayers, for some reason, have become complicated for many of us, even in the room. And I think it's important for us to wrestle with that. This whole sermon series started taking shape for me, and I started meditating about it after I posted a response to the murders of 19 children in an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. There was a disconnect that I noticed between public proclamations of prayer and a collective unwillingness to address the fundamental problems that were a part of this incredible tragedy. It's a real problem. And what I see throughout Scripture is a consistent call from the prophets of Scripture to respond to it. It's a real problem, and every prophet in Scripture addresses some version of it. Piety without transformation is empty. Piety without transformation is empty. This is the sort of thing that leads God to tell the people in Isaiah that God hates and despises religious festivals. Not because God actually hates and despises religious festivals, but because God despises a show of faithfulness without being grounded in faithfulness, demonstrating any true love. This is why James, the author of the book, James, (laughs) tells his audience that faith without works is dead. This is why Paul describes faithfulness being evident in the fruits of faithfulness. If our prayers don't impact our actions in the world or our reactions or even our responses in the world, something is missing. To the point where beautifully crafted words uh, in prayer if they're spoken without devotion and sacrifice, might be beautiful and poetic and gorgeous to listen to, but they won't have a meaningful impact if they aren't embodied. This is one of the reasons why, even though many ask for it, I really don't like giving scripts for our prayers of the people. 
those of you who've done it in this room know that that's the case. As much as you want me to give you a script for what our prayers of the people should be, I won't do it because, because prayers that are spoken not from our heart become empty when they aren't embodied within us. So because of this disconnect between the proclamation of thoughts and prayers and a clear unwillingness to engage harder questions about our country's addiction to violence and the tools that enable that violence, I asked a simple question. Are we actually praying or are we just going through the motions of prayer so that we can let go of whatever stress or whatever guilt or whatever shame we feel and leave everything in God's hands without taking up the things that we are actually responsible for and engaging ourselves in the grounded work of transformation? And it's a question, honestly, that I continue to struggle with, which is why we've spent six weeks talking about it. Maybe you're annoyed with me wrestling with this question so much, but I think it's so important for us. What is prayer? What does prayer actually do? A few weeks ago, I asked for prayers as I was uh, preparing to undergo surgery to have some skin cancer removed from my face. Some of you have asked about the scab. That's what that is. Um, It's still healing, and that's part of the reason I'm not consistently wearing my mask, and I'm sorry about that, but It's just, you know, right there. Anyway, (laughs) I asked for some prayer as I underwent that surgery. But what do those prayers do, right? Are you meant to be transformed by them? Am I meant to be transformed by them? I talk at length about how important it is to put our prayers into action, and then I tricked you by giving a prayer concern that you really couldn't do much with, except just lift them. So what are we doing? What is prayer? There's a really good book that's been really instructive to me over the last couple of weeks called The Greatest Prayer by a theologian named John Dominic Crossan, and I would highly recommend reading it. It's a book, it's just, it's a long book reflecting on the Lord's Prayer, and it's beautiful. And in the first chapter, he reflects on how prayer is used throughout Scripture and what it's for. And he starts by looking at the Psalms, and I think it's beautiful. In the Psalms, he says, we see sort of the basis for our understanding of faith. We see prayers of grief and lament. We see prayers of gratitude. We see prayers requesting God to do things on behalf of whoever the person is that's praying. They offer a poetic glimpse into people's relationships with God thousands of years ago. They lift concerns, they name gratitudes, and they name their awe in the face of this God that's so much bigger than them. And then they ask for some understanding, some strength, some courage, some wisdom. The psalm writers show an innate trust in God to provide all things. And so that's what God does. We see in the Psalms, God brings wisdom, God shows compassion, God shows mercy and brings renewal and relief to the psalmist throughout every single one of them. There's no lament psalm in the book that doesn't end with some statement of awe or gratitude because God always comes through, always. And it's beautiful. If we just had our psalms, our prayer life could be confined to those things. 
And honestly, this is a good prayer life, confined to requests and gratitude and awe. I think Anne Lamont actually has a book basically by that title, Help, Thanks, Wow, uh, All the Prayers You Need for a Faithful Life, right? Help, Thanks, Wow. But we see as uh, the Bible continues and humanity gets more complicated, we see a new kind of prayer life emerge in the prophets who don't just speak to God, but they start to speak for God. And when they speak for God, the prophets consistently call the faithful people from piety, from just help, thanks, wow, towards a call for distributive justice. And that's a word that John Dominic Crossan uses, distributive justice, which is put in comparison to retributive justice, right? God doesn't punish. God demonstrates abundance. Where people are punished is when they hoard abundance. You see, distributive justice is about spreading the goodness of God to all people. Retributive justice is about getting rid of the person. You see what I mean? It's a different thing. The prophets are never wholly about condemnation. They are about distributing the blessing of God more broadly. Distributive justice. That was a really helpful word for me, and I hope that it's illuminating for you too. Trust in God is important, but participation with God is essential for our ongoing maturity in faith. We're called to righteousness and justice-making. They can and they should be distinguished from one another, but they should not be pulled apart from one another. They're like two sides of the same coin. We're called to meditation and quietness and stillness, and we're called to action. We're called to ritual prayer, and we're called to distributive justice. They're distinct aspects of faith informing and empowering life in our relationship with God. See, this is why I'm talking about prayer so much. I worry that some of us are quickly giving up on prayer because we don't see its immediate impact in the world. When in fact, the greatest impact of our prayers is probably on ourselves. I had this debate with a church member here a couple months ago who was like, you know, I struggle to pray for someone who's sick because I can't do anything about them being sick. And then I asked, well, have you brought them a meal? Have you sat with them to listen to their pain and their concern? What has your prayer done to cha challenge you rather than how is your prayer bringing some mystical healing to them? The prayer doesn't always work in that way. We need to show up for one another, and sometimes our prayer life informs that habit. And so I, I say that to say thank you. Uh, to those of you, even though I said not to make it a big deal, uh, I appreciate the many of you who texted and called to make sure I was doing well on the day of my surgery. It means a lot. It really does. I appreciate that. But I worry that some of us are giving up on prayer because we also hold judgment over other people's prayer lives. And so we're depriving ourselves with an intimate relationship with our Creator because we're holding judgment over someone else in the way that they talk about thoughts and prayers. It's a lot of power we're giving to people we don't even like. 
I worry that some of us hold too strongly to ritual prayer so that we don't need to engage with the brokenness in the world or the brokenness in ourselves. I worry some of us will be burned out because we don't pray, and I worry that some of the rest of us might not even care. So what do we do with all of this? If you grew up in Sunday school, you know the answer. What's always the answer? Jesus is always the answer. Amen. Praise God for that. When Jesus witnessed the imperfect methods of prayer among religious folk in the era, he offered feedback. His feedback was different from the prophets before him. He didn't tell the people that God hates prayer and ritual. He didn't tell people to pray like the psalmist either. He introduced the people to a new language of prayer that incorporates both aspects of our faith life. Ritual prayer, standing awe and gratitude, and a commitment to distributive justice. Both things. Tyler just read it for us a moment ago, but we're going to walk through it. Very first words that Tyler read, don't be a hypocrite who prays to be seen. When you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words. Seems simple enough. Critical of a public pronouncement of prayer without action attached to it. Critical of empty prayer. And instead, Jesus says, after saying, don't be like this, he gives them a new model. He gives him clear instruction. Father in heaven, uphold your holiness. Now, this may come as a surprise for you, but God probably doesn't need me to remind God who God is or where God is or what God is or how much power God has. So why would we start a prayer that way? Unless it was to begin prayer by standing in awe to remind us that I, Patrick, Fallhaber, am not the center of the universe. And so I uphold the holiness of God above myself. It's the first instruction. God is held above me. For me to stand in awe of and for me to get behind so that I can walk faithfully in a good direction. The next statement, bring your kingdom. Whose kingdom is coming into earth? Not mine. God's kingdom is having its reign in this space. So that God's will is done on earth as in heaven. God's will throughout all of creation. This whole first half of the prayer Jesus gives is a pious reminder of who God is and whose world we're living in. This world, this life is a gift, it's a promise, and it's a challenge for each of us to remember these things. Creation is for me, but it's also not just for me. Life is a gift that is for me, but it is also not just for me. Our first words of prayer are ritually pious, acknowledging our dependence on God, and also empowering, guiding us towards God's will. Moving on. The rest of the prayer is really great, too. Give us the bread that we need for today. Today. This is a statement, it's acknowledging God's abundant blessing of enoughness. In our cultural dissatisfaction with having enough and our constant need for more and more and more, 
Jesus reminds us we simply need to ask and celebrate the meal that is before us today because it is God's abundant blessing. Forgive us for the ways that we have wronged you as we forgive those who have wronged us. This is the basis of our relationship as faithful human beings. It's beautiful. Our relationship with God is wholly dependent on the relationships that we have with our neighbors living around us, even the ones who drive us crazy. Grace begets grace. Forgiveness begets forgiveness. Love begets love. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship that God calls us into and that we're instructed to pray for. Don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This whole prayer offers us new language about how we live a life of faith. It's about ritual. It's about piety. It's about trust. It's about non-attachment. It's about patience. And it is important to live with trust for God. And remember that we don't have to fix. I want to say this very clearly. We don't have to fix every problem on our own. We don't have to solve every injustice on our own. We don't have to challenge every power structure on our own. We don't have to change every mind of the person, the people who surround us. We don't have to do that. We, in fact, this may come as a surprise, are not God. We aren't God. And it's important for us to take a step towards the one who is. And our life of faith, all that in mind, our life of faith is also about joining in God's distributive justice, working for the world's enoughness, offering new life where it may have been stolen and we have the power to do something about it, resisting temptation towards isolation, towards alienation, towards indifference, and towards violence. We have to resist those things so that we can build connections where they've been lost. The Lord's Prayer is so beautiful. And it teaches us to pray an empowered prayer, guided by the Spirit of God to integrate ourselves into a rhythm, a rhythm of meditation, deep trust, and action, piety, and justice. Love and truth-telling. Over the last six weeks, we've seen the profound impact of the kind of life, the kind of prayer life can have. We saw Jesus, six weeks ago, we saw Jesus engage his own experience of temptation in the wilderness. And we saw how the Spirit guided him through an incredible experience of coercion towards his own true identity as a beloved child of God who leads us through the wilderness of our age. The next week, five weeks ago, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we saw them recommit themselves to their faith in God with such strength and conviction that they were able to resist the immense powers of nationalism and transform a evil king in his heart. Four weeks ago, we saw Isaiah devote himself in the temple to pious prayer long enough for God and a messenger of God to touch a coal to his mouth, empowering him 
to the difficult job of holding his community accountable to their indifference, to the suffering, and their allegiance to foreign nationalistic power. Then we saw the rich man who had already committed to piety be challenged by Jesus to move his piety towards action. And we saw that rich man walk away grieving rather than allow the presence of God to bring transformation in his life. Sometimes the biggest barriers to growth in us are the things that we love the most. Last week, John preached about the ways that our lives become answers to generations of prayers long ago. He described how our lives are evidence of God's faithfulness to our ancestors. So I guess what I'm saying really at the end of the day is this. Please don't give up on prayer because you've seen other people do a bad job of it. That person should not have that power over you. Please don't give up on prayer because you didn't see the outcome you were hoping for. We can ask God for anything, and what God promises is enough, which doesn't always look like what we want. Please don't give up on prayer because you feel like you should be doing more. Your prayer life should guide you towards action that's sustainable. And sometimes, sometimes, the action prayer might lead you towards is rest. And that's okay, too. A life of prayer is grounded in God's vision to transform the world. If enough of us genuinely commit it, commit to it in our lives and gather our energy and our resources to devote them towards God's vision, the world will change. We've seen glimmers of it throughout all of human history. If we hope to see God's kingdom built here, where enough is distributed for all of the world to thrive, creation and humanity within creation, we need to stay in the game. So I ask you to do it with me. I'm here if you are. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org. Thank you.